Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Planet Tyro for our Woody Allen coverage. You're back here with me, your host, Donald Wanda, and I'm joined again with my co-host for this venture, Simon or Simeon Rad. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I'd like to welcome everybody back. For those of you who are reoccurring listeners, I feel like this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Haha, <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> Guys, if you missed our previous video, last time we actually covered Woody Allen's Banana Republic revolutionary satire comedy 1971's Bananas. If you're on YouTube, you can see the YouTube card in the top right hand corner to go back to that discussion. For all you non-YouTubers, I just want to let you know that all of our previous, current and future talks on Woody Allen will be in the description below. We've got a Woody Allen playlist and also... Well, non-YouTubers, I did mean to say that you can get this as an audio podcast on Apple's iOS podcast app. Android have got so many apps like podcasts. But I do want to say, we've heard some of your feedback and we are now officially on Stitcher Radio. Yes, Stitcher Radio, guys. One of the most official, popular podcast apps, both on Android iOS and I believe on Microsoft as well. Stitcher Radio loves what we do and they've put us on their system. So grab the Stitcher Radio app and you can listen to us there. And as usual, guys, we want to give our general warning. We would prefer if you watch the movie in question that we're discussing before you check out these discussions because we want you to have that first time Woody Allen experience then come back and listen to our discussions because we get into spoilers we talk about all the plots and stuff like that and we don't want to ruin your experiences but for those of you who've already seen the movie or you don't care you're in the right place we're about to get into it and uh, we're ready for our next discussion so on that note Simon if you don't mind giving us the title the year and the details of this movie we're covering right now we're not going to get super spoilers, but it is an in-depth summary. So we're looking at Play It Again, Sam, which is based on the play by the same name. The movie came out in 72. The play and both the screenplay was written by Woody Allen. Uh, it's one of his uh, more successful plays early on. It definitely made him, uh, uh, made him bigger and helped him get cast in the movie uh, to play the same character. Um, he stated that he didn't want to do an adaptation of the play because he read wrote it as a play but uh he thought the movie was a good idea to expand his audience from his own personal films like the ones he directed diane keaton who also stars in the play is also in the movie so it, it worked out well i think it, it it was just a solid production in terms of story once again woody allen's character is close to home the character is called alan He's a down-on-his-luck, lonely New Yorker character, even though the movie's set in San Francisco. This is once again a tale of love. It, it's written originally as a play, so it's a very intimate story. It's just centered around three characters. Woody Allen being the lonely guy who's going through a divorce. And the other two characters, played by Diane Keaton and Tony Roberts, are his best friends, who are a married couple trying to help him out, hook him up. Mm -hmm. And what makes the movie slightly more unique or creative is that Ellen as in Woody Allen, whose character's name is Allen, is a, a film uh, writer. He wrote, writes about film. He's a big film enthusiast. He's a huge fan of uh, Bogart. So actually, he has sort of an imaginary friend modeled after Bogart. He imagines Bogart giving him relationship advice or advice about life. Hence the title of the film, Play Against Sam, which is reference to Casablanca. That is right, Simon. So, uh, boy... Let me tell you something. Well, first of all, let me get this out of the way. Now, I know what a lot of you guys actually are, so we're going to cover this movie because, as Simon mentioned, this movie 
wasn't actually directed by Woody Allen, so people thought this isn't, this isn't officially part of the retrospective. For the record, guys, we're going to cover a lot of movies Woody Allen didn't direct but had a major part in. I'll even tell you now, if you know that uh, animated movie called Ants, we're going to cover that somewhere down the line. So, guys, this is going to be a fanboy. I'm a Woody Allen fanboy. We're going to cover so much things he's touched. It's going to be relevant to the conversation. So, Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, it goes without saying. Playing Against Sam was a huge hit in theaters. And it was a play written by Woody Allen, starring Woody Allen and yeah. Diane Keaton. So it contributed to his career and contributed to their two relationships on a professional level and on a personal level. His character is even called Allen. This movie is Woody Allen through and through. Well, let me let me let me touch on that a little bit. Let me just go back on the one of the few things you said because again, there's a lot of interviews. When you go back and you look in the history of all these movies, there's some conflicting parts of how this was made, this and the other. One thing he did say about this movie in particular is that the what the the main reason he didn't want to direct this movie is because he likes doing a movie a year, as everybody knows. And once he did the play, he just wanted to move on. He actually yeah. didn't want to make this movie. He wanted to move on, and he, the concept of him going back to something he's done as a play for years because i think he did the play he wrote the play in like late 1960s and it was out i think in the early 70s and by this time you know three years he's been doing the play why would he want to make a movie of it he was sick of it so he he handed the reins to someone else but because woody allen as an actor and as a you know as a hollywood icon he was well not an icon but as a hollywood presence he was becoming more pronounced it made more even though he didn't want to be the main lead he was being known as his name. His name was selling tickets. So he put himself in. He did the play. It made more sense. And that's fine. Now, Simon. Yeah, talk this, to me. This movie is special to me for so many reasons. But Oh, you know, you don't even have to say that. Because watching this movie, this movie is about you. Like, you always talk about with the previous films how... Oh, I would say that, or you know, that line reminded you of me. This whole movie reminded me of you. Like the, 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 and I know for a fact you did the exact same thing that Woody Allen does in this movie. So don't even try to front. All right, to a to a point, Simon is correct. This movie rings a bit home to me because I was in a similar romantic situation, a, a bit of a complicated one. So I appreciated that. But um, putting that aside, let's getting back to the movie for a second. This movie, for the longest time, was in my top five Woody Allen movies. Now, after rewatching it, ironically, that is no longer the case. <laughs> and, and that is yeah. because when you watch him, this movie, I kind of rewrote this movie in my memory. Yeah, or, or you, you didn't you meant to say you rewrote it in your diary? I think that's why you got it confused. You, see, you were actually reading your diary. I could take offense to what Simon's doing, but I, when when Simon hears everything I've got to say, I think he'll be a bit more. Mad. I know you're trying to take the piss out of me, Simon. It's, look, let me tell you something about. All right, you know what? Let's let me talk about Woody Allen's character in this movie just for a minute. Now, this movie we spoke about his other movies before. This movie can be annoying for one particular reason. This is the quintessential Woody Allen, super nerdy, super neurotic, super annoying character that he is known for. This is, he's done a little bit of this in these movies, but this is 100% to the wall, crazy Woody Allen that you either, you know, love it and you're used to it and this is just the Woody Allen you know and the stereotypes Woody Allen or he's so annoying, he bugs the hell out of you. And I will say in Woody Allen's defense, as a person, Woody Allen has said in many interviews, he always finds it funny that people actually think he's really like that. 
because there's no one on this earth that could beat this neurotic. When you're watching this movie, he is jittering like crazy. He is rambling. And if you take a step back and you look at Woody Allen as an actor and you see that it's a performance, like he's actually playing this super neurotic, super nervous, super crazy person. I'm like, you know what? Wow, man, to do that as a performance, because I will admit that this, he even said this is a version of himself, but this is, this is an extreme. And he does play this character in a lot of the movies we're going to see before. But observing this movie for the upteenth time, I can see this is a performance. Like no one on earth could be this crazy. And I think it's I think it's an awesome character. I'm observing it as a character. I think you know what? As a comedy character, this is really funny. As a character, if you're actually taking this as a real person, annoying as fuck. This guy would annoy the hell out of you. There's, I mean, you, you how can you feel sorry for someone? I mean, there's so many scenes in this movie where. These Peter, uh, Diane Keaton and uh, her husband in the movie are trying to hook him up. And he's, oh, what am I going to do? What's he going to say? There's a scene where he's actually, Diane Keaton's on the phone trying to hook him up. And he's like, I don't want to hear this. He's screaming on the phone. Who does that? You. That's who. You. I have the same conversations with you. <laughs> that, that's who. Simon, you're talking <laughs> mad crap. I never do that. No, no, no. It, because he does that because he, he he's making an assumption based on his previous experiences of the type of women that are drawn to him and when i think of of how you always looking for a, a particular type of girl and you end up with somebody completely different that's not a good match that doesn't appreciate your personal tastes that it, you know wants to do the exact opposite that you want to do while you just want to you know watch a movie read a good book and you know stay at home and do old and have intellectual talk and you know she just like wants to go out and dance and all all that you're the same you're just like i don't want her I oh don't want- I, no I, i'm picky and i will agree that i think this is another thing about woody allen let me kind of shift because i don't want to derail this too much one of the things about this movie and one of the reasons why i don't like this movie as much as i used to this is a movie that let's just say that this movie became a subgenre the nerdy character trying to find love and his friends are trying to help him this was basically if we go to the the 80s to the 2000s this is basically the high school nerd comedy romance rom-com we've seen a million times there's two movies in particular that i will use as a good example of this but i will just say we've seen movies that take an idea like this a simple idea of a, a guy who just wants to find love or a guy who can't meet the right girl this was done to death it still was done to death on so many stupid college high school dramas and all that woody allen kind yep. of did it first even Woody Allen just does it to death. He reuses his character again and again and again. But again, I know why you were making that comparison to me, but I, I just feel this character, there's no one, especially in his more exaggerating elements, there's no one that that is to this extent. And as a character, sure. I appreciated that. And I like the fact that Woody Allen's putting out that performance, but I'm not going to lie, it, it can get annoying. And that's just focusing on Woody Allen because we're going to talk about all the other stuff. But I just wanted to get the Woody Allen character out of the way because... He's unrealistic. He's neurotic. I found it funny, to be honest with you, but I also found it annoying. I don't know how you felt about it. Well, after being, you know, Captain Wingman for most of my friends, maybe I'm just, you know, too much in training. I just got used to it. Yeah. Used to dealing with people like that. So my, for me, it was all right. Like, I know, because here's the thing. I know what you're saying, that uh, the character is an extreme. But then again, we talked about this before, and it's a common theme with Woody Allen. Contrast. His humor depends on contrast. So 
with his imaginary friend uh, appearing in the movie in the form of a, a version, an on-screen version of Bogart, yeah. the typical old-school Hollywood leading man, you know, firm and tough and straight to the point, you know, a heart of ice, you know, nothing can face him versus, you know, this neurotic, romantic, you know, hopeless romantic character who's always so shy and just nothing works out with him, doesn't know how to approach woman. He's always second guessing himself versus the, you know, overconfident Bogart. You know, that that's the point of the comedy. So it kind of needs to be like that. It needs to it needs to be black and white. Well, if we, so, you know, going off a point you just mentioned there, which I think is a really great point. If we go back in the well, mid early seventies when this movie came out, a lot of the movies out were had strong alpha leading males as your in your yeah. film noirs or your action movies. So Woody Allen actually putting this out at the time, it was different. It probably was funny, you know, and I think it appealed to the masses on the comedy level. Maybe some people could relate. I don't really think so, but maybe I'm just speaking for myself. But I actually think this might have been a breath of fresh air in cinema at the time it came out, which is another reason why the play might have been a lot a big hit. I think it definitely comes off as very honest. I think it, you know, because at certain points in our lives, we are all this character to some extent. Maybe not as neurotic, but uh, you know, when you're going through a breakup, yeah. when you're lonely, or when all your friends are in a relationship and and you're that third wheel, you can act like this. And even the movie kind of hints at that towards the end, where things start to shift. Yeah. That uh, that you know, the roles are almost reversed. Suddenly, a, a person who hasn't behaving that way and was giving advice throughout the whole film now finds himself in a situation similar situation starts acting similarly immediately you know yeah so i think that kind of personal honesty helps sell the the story a lot more i yeah. mean um, don't quote me on it but i'm pretty sure he wrote this during the time he was trapped on the set of casino royale you're right he did write in that's correct he did write in yeah. the early the late, late 60s around that time you're correct i double yeah. check yeah I, he he so this is the lemonade he made out of those lemons back in the day <laughs> in the early days but to be honest with you the big question on everybody's mind is that uh, herbert ross directed the film so uh, how does that work you know it's not directed by woody allen uh, what kind of effect does it have on the film uh, and for me personally yeah it, it, it was very refreshing because early Woody Allen is still trying to figure out his identity as a filmmaker, mm -hmm. what he's trying to do. He defaults to all these, uh, you know, skits and all this random comedy just to push extremes, push buttons, get a reaction out of the audience, see how far he can go. With a more seasoned director doing this piece, the movie's a lot more focused yeah. and a lot more concentrated. So all the high comedy elements when they go silly with the jokes are scattered out throughout the movie a little bit better so yeah. it helps with the pacing it helps with more focus on the story uh, to put a good comparison think of a director who has a very strong hand signature where you can immediately tell if he directed a movie and is also a writer like let's say quentin tarantino yeah it's like a quentin tarantino script directed by someone else who did a good job sort of like true romance and i'm not just saying because true romance actually borrows a lot from this movie but it really feels like it feels like okay here's the good stuff about that 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 director's writing style but also you don't have to put up with their quirks for this particular story it worked out well it made it its own unique thing but containing a lot of the elements you like about that person's other work so again here you don't have that many random jokes and random skits yeah but you still have 
typical uh, typical Woody Allen character, story structure, dialogue that's classic, and a lot of good humor, as well as outlandish jokes, also some subtle jokes and some clever dialogue. So I, I think it just it just it just works out well. The cinematography is nice, you know, all that stuff. It's a competently made film. It even has a sweet ending, you know, it's the full package. You know what, Simon? I'm going to bring this full circle because you're, you're hitting the points I... Well, first of all, I agree with everything you said there anyway, but since I spoke about Alan, I'm going to bring up Diane Keaton and her husband in the movie, which I can't remember his name right now. <laughs> uh, uh, Tony Roberts. And how can you not remember the guy has an awesome name? His name is Dick. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's the best name been. ever. Yeah, it's like... If you have, if you if if your girl or wife is pregnant out there, Dick Masters is a perfect name. Just putting it out there, because not a lot of people are called Dick these days, and we need to bring that name back into circulation. In my opinion, well, actually, there is a, someone called Dick Masterson. He's a, a podcast personality that did a podcast with Maddox called the best podcast in the universe. But anyway, that's besides the point. <laughs> <laughs> not, that guy is just a dick. You know, that's not exactly not that's not his real name. <laughs> Let me tie this around for what you just said so I want to move on to the, the, the chemistry between Diane Keaton and Woody Allen now the, the chemistry between these two is absolutely great but focusing on Diane Keaton for a moment she's great in the movie she starts out as she's got that style that we everyone talks about in Annie Hall sure and yeah 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 as a companion as the co-lead the female lead she's great I, I mean the, the way their relationship builds in this movie is charming it's honest and it's, it's fun it's comical as well They've got a few scenes here that I'm not going to bring up because of spoilers, even though we're kind of in that section anyway. But what I want to say, and I, I, do, I don't want to jump the gun here a little bit. When you mentioned the, the directing uh, of the director who took over for Woody Allen because of Woody Allen's insistence or whatever. Mm-hmm. Herbert Ross, yeah. I was thinking to myself, I wonder what this movie would have been if Woody Allen directed it. And I'm going to jump the gun a little bit here and say, honestly... When I watch this movie from a writing director, from a narrative, from a narrative perspective, and the chemistry between Woody Allen and Diane Keaton, I see this movie honestly as a beta test for Annie Hall. He drew upon a lot of things in this movie and infused it in Annie Hall. And this movie to me is like using the computer game reference. This movie to me, if I'm going to compare it to Annie Hall, this is Super Mario Bros. One, and Annie Hall <laughs> is Super Mario Bros. Three. I, I see what you mean. Yeah, it's also important to note that a lot of people know uh, Diane Keaton from the Godfather films, but a lot of this, especially the play, happened before Godfather. So yeah. she wasn't the name she became after those films came out, Godfather Part One and Part Two. So uh, yeah, it, it was sort of a, it wasn't like a natural fit or or, or a, a no brainer to cast Diane Keaton in this. It was really up to finding the right person for the role, and she's great, and that's why she becomes. I think she's. I think Woody Allen calls her his first muse. Like she was the first woman that he, you know, got that connection with and repeatedly cast her again and again and again. And obviously they dated in real life for a while as well. And a lot of people wish they got together, but that never happened. But we'll talk about that in future movies when it's relevant. But um, talking about the, um, the... I still can't remember the other guy who's <laughs> Dick. Let's call him Dick. Uh, yeah. Dan Keaton's husband. He's fine. There's a running gag with him in this, with, with him in this movie. Always having to relocate. <laughs> always having to, him to tell his office, whatever, wherever he is, and a series of numbers is really funny because he plays it deadpan and it's so ridiculous. I'm now at 555-472-754. You can reach me here. And every scene, yeah. he's been interrupted by the phone. And obviously, it's a show that he's not paying attention to her. But 
It's it's one of the best jokes in the movie, the best running gags. And it's one of the the jokes that ages the best because now when we have mobile phones, that's when you really realize how bad this guy needed it in 1972. I mean, if you can send something back in time, you would send this motherfucker at least a Nokia or something. I mean, I think an iPhone would be too much. He would just his head would explode. He was like, "Oh my god, this is magic." So uh, what the, what I want to move on to now is I want to get the big the big dog out of the way. The, the elephant in the room out of the way. My my turn from loving this movie to not so much. To do that, I need to talk about the best element of this movie. And I think, first of all, this is a movie, again, like we when we spoke about Take the Money and Run, when we spoke about Woody Allen doing something different with the mockumentary, the movie, this movie won me over back in the day with the opening scene. This is super meta. You're watching someone watch the ending to Casablanca and being totally enamored by the ending and Casablanca as everyone knows is one of the most popular successful beloved movies of all time top 10 lists all over the world so watching that moment is genuine it's not just Woody Allen being a movie fanboy this movie is adored because that ending is iconic when I watch that ending when you see Woody Allen the opening shot is just the movie, then panning to Woody Allen in the cinema, having that look on his face on that ending, affecting him so much. And that drew me in. As a, as a viewer, I remember watching that thinking, wow, man, this is going to be a movie about a guy who loves Casablanca and he carries that with him through the movie, and he does. And I actually think it's a very meta idea for a play, for a movie. I think it's very clever. There's, a, there's only, to this day, there's only a few movies that use the telling of a movie as a narrative for the rest of the movie, which, as a writer, I think it's a genius idea. Now, this is where my my memory plays with me a little bit. Now, after watching the movie, after all these years, I I thought to myself, or actually, let me say this, the best part of this movie that I enjoyed the most is Woody Allen and his Humphrey Bogart imaginary wingman. When he's there, Woody Allen... You gotta tell her that. You gotta talk to her like this. You gotta say this. Those moments are my favorite through the whole movie. But this is my problem with the movie. After rewatching it, those moments are few and far between. The Humphrey Bogart character is only sprinkled in a little bit at the beginning and in the last act. Through most of the movie, he's not there. And I actually, in my memory, I always remembered his character being there. As soon as he finished watching the movie, the way I remembered it was that he was always there through the whole movie giving him advice meanings because that is an awesome movie but that's not this movie and on top of that there's a and I'm going to be very nitpicky here when you're watching the movie after Woody Allen leaves the first scene after he leaves the cinema he starts talking to himself Woody Allen he starts narrating himself and I'm like is he talking to the Humphrey Bogart character he's not this is a thing I think it's a mistake and I thought he's not looking at the screen he's not talking to the audience either he's just talking out loud and I was watching, what's going on? But then I realized that this is a play. And if you're watching the play, that's what they do. They talk out loud their thoughts. And it doesn't, they didn't, I don't know if it was the screenplay. It doesn't make sense. And I'm, I've watched this movie four times. So guys, if oh. you're thinking. Well, well, that's because you've never been to New York. <laughs> you know, there, there are a ton of people walking around talking to themselves on the street. That's, uh, I mean, I know it. I know it's set in San Francisco, but you know. No, I understand that. But if you watch the movie again, like I've a million times, it's a sore thumb because 
he does it. He, the things he's saying, and people talk to people Come on, I talk to myself. Everyone talks to themselves. That's fine. But it's, it's weird. It stands out. And then there's moments where the Humphrey, Humphrey Bogart character is there. And he's talking to him directly. But there's other times he's talking to himself. It's very inconsistent. And the reason why I don't love this movie as much is because it's a missed opportunity. I, I watched it the second time thinking, where's the Humphrey Bogart character? And he wasn't there through more than half the movie. And the scenes where he's there are the best parts. When Woody Allen's on his own, like we mentioned before, when he's there, his friends are trying to hook him up and he's just being neurotic. Those are the scenes where the Humphrey Bogart character be there like, calm down, you know, get a hold of yourself. And I thought, because he watched the movie... I thought that would have been a stronger pull for the movie and that's how I remembered it. But watching it again, it it stuck out to me because he's not in there enough for me and it was just disappointing because the last scene where, spoiler, when he's trying to court the Diane Keaton character and him and the Hufflepuff character going back and forth, that is the best part of the movie. That part is fucking hilarious. That exchange is fun. It's meta. And I was like, why couldn't the whole movie been this? Instead of watching Woody Allen being a, a malt, being a neurotic idiot and his friends trying to, you know, hook him up. It, it, honestly, I was like, man, this is the, the movie I remember. I remember Harvey Bogart being through the whole movie and it's, he's just in it less than half of it. So I think it was a kind of missed opportunity. But then again, what I will say in my defense is maybe as a play, it makes perfect sense and it works better. But to me, the movie was kind of boring for half of that part where it was just a traditional guy down on his luck looking for love. That was kind of boring to me until the Harvey Bogart character was there helping him. That was awesome. That made the movie special. That was the Casablanca whole picture, the whole movie to me. And that's what I remembered. Rewatching it again, it was lacking. You know, and this is someone who's watched it multiple times. So this it's a fanboy criticism. I'm going to say that now. A lot of you guys listen to probably like, this guy's gone off his head. He's gone way too far, but... I'm, I know I never told you this off mic, Simon, but you're probably surprised. That's my actually problem with the movie. It, the whole Casablanca pitch, the Humphrey Bogart character isn't there for most of the movie and he's the best part of it playing off Woody Allen. Just Woody Allen being neurotic makes the movie lacklustre, you know, especially... And that's what makes it not age well, as well as... Well, I'll get into something else, but I just want to hear your thoughts on that first before I say something else. I hear I hear what you're saying. Like, some of the stuff is obvious. Like, the, the character talking to himself... Uh, and they try to make it look like it's everyday scenarios. He's going to the laundry. He's going to the, the convenience store. He's walking down the street, you know, to make it seem more natural that he's basically narrating his life uh, because that's how it's written. That's how it plays out in a play where most of the, these scenes are centered around one location. So we're either in his apartment or his friend's apartment, the beach house, and then at the airport at the end. So, you know, that that's something that, that is quite obvious. It's not done you know, the most elegantly. It's only in the second half of the movie where they start inserting things that take advantage of the fact that this is a film so they can visit multiple locations. They can do multiple things that you can't, they couldn't do with the play. Uh, the Bogart character not being in the movie enough. Uh, this was my first viewing. Okay, so for me, it was fine because every time he's on screen, it, the dialogue's great. The director, like you said, he pulls back. It's more subtle. There's not that much of the character in there to make it really gimmicky every time he shows up they introduce him with very nice camera work it's visually memorable it's clever and you're welcome to see him but he goes away before it becomes gimmicky or before it becomes boring i think that was kind of the mentality they had that every time the bogart character comes in 
it has to be a really memorable exchange. He j- can't just become a staple in the film where it's like, of course, he's in the background. You know, he almost like takes over the scene when he's involved. He does. Yeah. And, and there's only a few scenes where they really play with that. But I guess, again, because it's written like a play, you want to give the actors on stage something sure. to do to not, not only express their individual characters. So everybody kind of has to have their scene and their little moment, but also... You know, the challenge is when the Bogart character is involved with everybody else that only Woody Allen's character sees him. So they having an exchange between them, which is just with the imaginary friend. Then he switches back to the real life dialogue. So that's how those scenes play out in terms of character dynamic, which is interesting to watch because, you know, the characters can never come out of their emotional state. So Diane Keaton is just there sipping a drink. While Woody Allen and Humphrey Bogart have a completely different exchange that's of a completely different tone. I love and then when, and yeah, And then when Ellen comes back to talking to her, she just has to continue like nothing happened. Yeah. So that's very interesting. But I think they wanted to savor all that. And, and yeah. that's from the play as well. They wanted to, to sprinkle it in here and there, really make those scenes stand out. It didn't bother me. Maybe, you know, if I rewatch it a couple of times, I'm like, oh, I, I wish I could have seen more of this character. Yeah. But uh, for me, it was fine. Like I said, the the movies, it's nice little compact package. The fact that it's directed by somebody else just gives it a, a different tone, makes it stand out more in Woody Allen's catalog of work. The ending's very sweet, which I think is is important because it's one of those crowd-pleasing movies where it, it depends on your sensitivity almost. Like you need to really sympathize with his character and kind of admit to yourself like, okay, no matter how confident I am in myself right now, we can all, you know, we all have our downs and, and we can all at least appreciate what he's going through. So having, you know, trying to match that romantic tone for something that's ultimately a romantic movie is appropriate and, and the ending nails that. Outside of that, you know, if, if, you, if you're turned down by that, you say, you know, I like my experimental Woody Allen. I like when Woody Allen just throws stuff out there there's some stuff in here that's quite innovative, not just the imaginary friend, but they also do a lot of cutaways where they just insert a random joke. And not only are those some of the funniest jokes in the film, but they're quite, quite, quite innovative. I mean, that's, up that's until... why I brought up Annie Hall, because again, yeah. that, and that's the Annie Hall element. I think he used more in that movie, in his, in that movie, which again is an element. I think he gradually made even better. Yeah. He beta tested here, but yeah, yeah even up until today, family guy, this whole you know humor is built yeah. built on a bunch of cutaways yeah. and they do the same thing here and th- those are some of the funniest lines so don't be turned off by the fact that it's a more straightforward narrative there's no, plenty no, no, of no, no, creative no, no. ideas here and, and like i said i do feel like annie hall this is the beta test for annie hall the, the, the diane keaton with the island it's the, it's such a similar story the romance it's a similar story but again he just refined it and uh, look I really do like this movie, and I do want to say, Simon, you put this in perspective. Let me just um, acknowledge what you said. You know what? In response to what you just said, you are probably right. If I did get more Harvey Goldbogar, it might have been too much. You might have overtook the movie. You're, this is why I like having a podcast where I'm bouncing off someone, because that might have ruined it. Again, 
it's just when you watch a movie that I love I loved I actually love this movie again as you said Simon it's pretty good I, I do I do feel I really enjoyed watching it the first time yeah. yeah it played close to my heart because I've been in this situation it has an ending that is mature and that's fun and to be honest with you even though the, you know the thing I like about the ending the most is that Woody Allen tells you this is exactly what I wanted I wanted to live Casablanca I mean, he says at the end of the movie, this is what I wanted to do anyway. I wanted to be here. I wanted to be this guy. So it fulfills. It's honest. It's meta. It's a really cool movie that, again, it was in my top five. But after we watching it, just the Woody Allenisms, I just, I don't know, man. It's not as great as it was before. Because, again, top five Woody Allen with the 50 movies. We've got a lot to go through. And there's a lot of great movies. So I know. I do, I do take it out of my top five. But it's a really good movie. And lastly, before we wrap things up, I do want to say that um, one thing I did say is that this is the quintessential Woody Allen and a lot of movies took this loser looking for love formula. One movie in particular that reminds me of, a more recent movie, is a movie I think was made, is it 20... what, 2007? I think it's called Youth in Revolt with Michael Serra. Ah, yes, yes. Uh, if somebody with less talent would make an attempt at this, that that's that movie. Although that movie's not that bad but i love that movie compared, but compared to this yeah you know i'm yeah. just saying there's a similar movie a character who wants to get a girl who's a really wimp he's got an imaginary character to help him there's so many i mean I, 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 when i think of even the mask is not a good example a mask is another like character who becomes someone else oh, yeah. i mean this has been done in cinema many and many and many a time yeah you know what i mean yeah I, I know what you mean i mean you can you can definitely see with this movie just like the previous ones Woody Allen is influential. At the end of the day, he's very influential. You could see it throughout the years. Even if he takes ideas that have been done before, he just creates uh you just create something that is constantly referenced or you can see elements of it, you know, taken and recreated in other films. I mean, yeah. And that's what makes the movie even even better because just the concept of something it's it's flattering to Casablanca, but it's almost like a play on Casablanca. Yes. And nowadays, nobody does anything that's clever like that. If you think about some movies that reference other movies are just these stupid parody films like yeah. Meet the Spartans and, you know, a bunch of bottom barrel, cheap laughs, yeah, they're, they're very spoofs. bad films. They're, yeah, they're, they're, they don't build yeah, upon the movie. You nailed it. Them. Yeah, the yeah. spoof genre. Yeah. This, th these type of films went into the spoof genre and the spoof genre just went bottom barrel bottom barrel filmmaking that there's no other word for it, it just it's basically actors that can get better roles and directors that can't do better films get stuck it, there's barely any good spoof films left and nothing in in the line of this where it's not spoofing the film it, it's just taking elements of it and turning it into something else in a clever way with a, a joke that's or a situation that's either meta or playing tribute or anything like that so it, it it becomes unique like that you know i do want to get the audience involved in this one guys if you know any movies that take a existing movie make it meta and build upon it because i can only think of one movie i think hamlet 2 that was a good movie about someone who wanted to make a sequel to hamlet and it was really cool and i don't want to i don't think shakespeare in love qualifies as well but i know there's a lot of movies that build upon you know a, a fictional movie and you know take it into another into another direction you know what i mean guys let me know in the comments down below let us know but um let's move on to the the audience score so again you already mentioned we all know this was a very successful play the movie talking about the movie the audience scores this is a high sevens 
high sevens, low eights, very well, did very well in the box office. Again, this is another movie that gave Woody Allen a lot of clout. People did see it as a love letter to Casablanca anyway and with Woody Allen. So it's, it's aged very well. Even though some people don't class it as a Woody Allen movie because he didn't direct it. He wrote the play. He wrote the movie. I mean, it's a Woody Allen movie, guys. Come on. Yeah, but there's no other way around it. I'm not, I'm not surprised. It did, back in the day, this was a crowd-pleasing film. This was something when all your friends came over, you could put on, even though you yeah. would need it. A projector back in the day but you know what i mean now the spectacle took over that like a film that anybody can everybody can get around to something that has shock value big explosions it's usually an action film but back in the day something that and funny that was a crowd pleasing film and uh it holds up today i think you can show this film to anybody but what i'm really interested in because this is not your typical crazy early woody allen film that's very much out there it's more subtle what was your uh, quote for this film? What was the quote of the movie? Oh, man. Guys, <laughs> if you've been following the retrospective, you know I picked my quote of the movie. I'm not going to do this very often. This time, I'm not going to repeat the quote of the movie. Hopefully, we don't get copyright strikes for this or anything like that. And we do apologize. We don't want to insert clips unless we have to. But guys, this time, I'm not even going to repeat the quote because it's not a quote. It's an exchange between Woody Allen and Diane Keaton. It's 40 seconds. Guys, just listen to this because it's very memorable. And I think you'll know why when you hear this. Hey, did you read in the papers another open woman was raped? Do they know who did it? Mm. No, they haven't a clue. We must be very clever. Yeah, you got to have something on the ball to rape so many women and get away with it. You know, I think if anybody ever tried to rape me, I'd just pretend to go along with it until the middle and then just grab hold of the nearest heavy object and let him have it. <laughs> that is, unless, of course, I was enjoying it. They say it's the secret desire of every woman. I guess that depends on who's doing the raping. <laughs> well, I dwell on morbid subjects. Odds are you'll never get raped. No, not with my luck. Mm. Uh, damn. You had to pick that one, right? <laughs> the, the the one scene that sticks out like a sore thumb. I, I mean, it, it really does. I mean, look, I guess it's played for humor. There's no doubt. You can't take this seriously. And <laughs> Diane Keaton says it in a very flight, you know, just blasé way. But it's fucking crazy <laughs> i don't know it, what else it, to say it, it's it's very awkward it, you feel awkward I, I, and i don't get awkward watching movies often yeah i mean i i've been watching horror movies and uh, slasher films from a very young age and you know i can brush that off or some weird experimental films you know art films e even some disgusting ass movies but but that right there just because they aim it to be black humor so they play it down like it's an everyday conversation. But when yeah. you make it so real, you know, it reflects real life. And you're like, damn, you really shouldn't say things like that to, to, to a woman. You know, like the, bringing up the topic of rape, especially like with, with some of the later, how should I say, uh, um, um, scandals that happened to Woody Allen. I mean, it, this just feels wrong. The whole joke just, <laughs> just feels It feels like something... The studio should have come in with an editor and said, take that shit out right now. You know, take uh, shit out. You know, uh, edit in Bogart playing the guitar or something. I don't care. Whatever randomness. My question is, was this in the play or was this a movie rewriting the movie only for the movie? I, I don't. 
it's it's a it's a 40-second exchange, it's very notable, and again, guys, my quote of the movie isn't always gonna be what I love, but it's always gonna be something that just resonates. And the movie is a certain tone, it's very light hard, it's very fun and all that stuff. But again, because they play it deadpan, I don't know, man. It's it's out there. But um Yeah. Woody Allen, you know, I tip my hat off to you because I don't know, man. Just thinking back, I don't know if there's there's dark movies. There's a murder. There's going to be a lot of movies that are very dark moving forward. But I just want to say, this exchange is up there. It's one of the darkest exchanges in Woody Allen's career, in my in my opinion. I don't know. I, I think I think the problem is that it doesn't have a good payoff because yeah. they, it just goes from an awkward position to just a bunch of really really bad points. Like when they go up to the topic of world, it just depends on who the rapist is and then you're like suggesting that you know if the rapist is xyz or handsome enough or you know i i guess has the right technique it's not that bad and then considering up until this day i mean 40 years later people are still getting off of rape charges because they're of, of a certain skin color or they're like a college student or they're in the swimming team or their dad's rich <laughs> and, and, and the excuse is always was just it, it was just two minutes of pleasure just one night a simple mistake a, yeah. a, 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 you know a drunk adventure and everybody always downplaying you know the emotional trauma that comes with this shit that ruins people's lives i mean i don't want to get too serious yeah. but yeah it, it, it's just like you're really digging yourself very, very deep for a joke that doesn't even really have a payoff besides whatever. Even Woody Allen's character actually says, oh, it, it, enough of this, you know, enough of a dark subject matters. I'm like, you started it. And then she says, <laughs> if I could, if only I'd be so lucky at the very end to get raped. And it's Whoa. not even like, the, the, you know, <laughs> you're trying to paint a picture like, okay, these two characters, because they always talk about the medication they take and how, you know, uh, yeah. neurotic they are or depressed. Like, oh, they're leveling. Their dark sense of humors are, you know, mixing together. So it's like character bonding. But not even that. It's just like, I just don't know what to say. On, on one hand, for a writer to be bold enough to put anything in there, great. I applaud that. Yeah. But yeah. if you're going to do it, do it better, please. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I, it missed the mark. I, I, I can see what they were trying to do, but maybe it was it should have been in a different film, or, or the delivery was wrong. But again, I think we could both agree as a joke, it kind of fails. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it makes you feel awkward, and and it's it's dark humor, but not very funny dark yeah. humor. It's just it's it's all right. It's an all right joke that just makes you feel really uncomfortable for for not a whole lot of payoff. So on that note, guys, <laughs> let's wrap on this that video. happy note. You know, <laughs> I hope you get lucky enough to get raped right after this podcast. You know, <laughs> if you're feeling lucky today, yeah, that's a that's a joke, guys. If you don't know, and it's a bad one. So, guys, I, I heard it's everybody's secret fantasy. You keep going, Simon. Leave us your very <laughs> dig, inappropriate dig, dig, jokes. Dig. You know, actually, tweet Simon at Simon under Simeon at under. Simeon and school bad. It's on the screen. Tweet him your most inappropriate jokes because obviously he's got a taste for that shit, you know. <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna have cell cell phone service because I pretty much dig myself all the way to China by now. So. <laughs> Whatever, man. But guys, thank you for checking us out. Thanks for the retrospective and thank you for the feedback. We're gonna speak about the feedback in the next review because this one's gone on nearly 45 minutes or so. Thanks for watching, guys. Again, 
leave us your thoughts on this movie on our discussions on the retrospective we want to hear it Want to say thanks for checking us out simon i want to thank you for joining me on this one and giving me your perspective as usual nice one man yeah this was a this was a good one to watch and i'm looking forward to checking out the next movie next week oh next one's a special one a little it's a little anthology piece or something different with the animals always mixing up and it was done in the same year so Anyway, guys, you can see, if you're on YouTube, you can see the annotations that YouTube are putting on the screen because they know what you want from Planet Tyro. Just to let you guys know, we don't only we don't only do Woody Allen on this channel. We do all this other stuff for media, television shows, animation, comic books. Check it out, guys. But if not, check us out on the next Woody Allen discussion. And until then, we'll see you later. See you later. <laughs>